From being a pastor to becoming a published author, entrepreneur, and founder of a nonprofit, Kevin White started with love from Jesus Ministries because he understood that if he wanted to eat and feed his family, he had to feed others as well. My favorite thing that he said is there are three parts to life, setting God free, setting others free, and setting yourself free. Stay tuned for his inspirational story. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is the incredible Kevin White. Welcome to the show, Kevin. You are so kind. Thank you so much. It's good to be on the show. Well, I'm excited to have you. I can't wait to dive in and tell everybody about who you are. And so for those of you who don't know, Kevin White, um, 20 years ago, he needed food for his family. Mm -hmm. And God said to him, feed others and your family will eat too. Hmm. Today, the organization that Kevin founded with Love from Jesus Ministries continues to distribute millions of dollars a year in needed resources to high-need populations. Kevin's family never missed a meal, and Kevin went from barely surviving to thriving because of audacious generosity, which happens to be the title of his newly released book, Audacious Generosity, How to Experience, Receive, and Give More Than You Ever Thought Possible. I can't wait to talk about that. For 10 years, Kevin has been the founder and executive director of Global Hope India, a mission organization to Indian nationals. He's traveled to India 50 times, hosting a thousand people on mission trips. You can find out more on his website at kevinwhite.us. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Kevin. Thank you, Shay. What a great introduction. You're (laughs) going to have to hit the road with me and Introduce me everywhere I go. That's awesome. (laughs) I'll be your MC everywhere you go, right? (laughs) Uh, And likewise. (laughs) Sounds good. I would want to introduce you as well. Oh, I would love that. You're a powerful woman. Oh, thank you. I love your story as well. Thank you. So um, I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Hmm. So years ago, God really captivated the word empowerment in my life, in my mind, and even in my philosophy of ministry. So I would say in the, the greatest investment, one of the greatest investments we'll ever make in the life of someone else is to empower them, mm. um, to not just serve them. Not, nothing wrong with that. That's a great gift that we can offer others, but, um, but to literally empower them. You know, we've all heard the saying, feed someone, they eat a meal, teach them the fish, and they can eat the rest of their lives. And that's really what empowerment uh, looks like. I love that answer. And um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Teach the, is it teach them, give a man a fish, Mm -hmm. you feed him, but teach the man a fish, you've fed him for life. Mm -hmm. He can eat for life. So how are you empowering others? Well, I, I really, that's a great question. Um, I, I really feel like um, the the greatest sense of empowering others through me is in the form of encouragement that brings lasting transformation. So um, I really feel like one of my strongest spiritual gifts, the way in which I see God using me most often is in the form of encouragement. 
the feedback that I get from our partners in India and from people that travel with me over to India, uh, people on staff and our board members is just that uh, they have felt so encouraged by being around me. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but I really feel like the the lasting encouragement is evidence in their transformation and and them really growing as a person, uh, growing as a leader, um, gr- growing in their walk with Christ, um, and and them seeing the fruit of that transformation. Mm, mm, amen. <laughs> mm. I think that's what you know. Real and encouragement is is right is being able to see is to be able to see something in them mm-hmm. and speak life into that. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. So thank you for everything yeah. that you do. By the grace of God, that's what I try. Um, I, uh, he works in spite of me so many times, but that's at least um, the intent. Yes. And you're not trying, you're doing. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yes. So you, you are the founder of Global India. Global Hope India, yes. So how did that come about? It really just started as a hobby. Um, so I go to India in 1998, first international mission trip. Um, I'm not kidding you when I say that I uh, literally went from North Carolina to, to South Carolina for college. And up until that moment of, of my life, I, I really never left the state of North Carolina. Uh, in high school, I did take a, a trip uh, to Louisiana, um, but just going over and living during college in South Carolina was one of the most profound trips of my life. And so I never held a passport till I was 30 years old. My parents never held a passport in their entire life, mm-hmm. never exited the USA. And so when God called me to go to India before I actually ever held a passport in my hand, it was not a small call and it was very profound. Um, and I remember just being in a season uh, where uh, God had already taught me if it's his will, it's his bill. And so I basically mm-hmm. put the call right on him and said, OK, you provide and I'll go. And he provided and I went and it was life changing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I prayed on that first trip that he would let me take all three of my kids to see what I saw in India because uh, I saw some I, I saw transformation things that could really transform them from the materialistic lifestyle that we often are tempted toward in the USA. And I saw orphans with no material possessions, but they, they knew the presence of God and they exhibited true joy. And I long for that for my children. You can teach them all about the trying to get out from up under the materialism that, that we counter here. It's are exposed to encounter here in the USA, but until they see that evidence of no materials, but yet having joy, it's hard to really explain. So I go back three years later with my 11 year old son, Zach, and then three years later with my 11 year old daughter, Courtney. And every time I went, I invited friends from church to go with me. So it just developed these, this hobby of taking these teams over to India. And then in 2008, our local church um, invited me to come on staff, and I uh, started working to help them with their multi-site strategy. And one team a year, this hobby over to India became two teams, three teams, and it just grew to a point. We had already had a 5013C Global Hope India um, 
Incorporated. We already had a bank account. No one had ever been on staff, but God just really made it clear in 2010 that I was to serve Global Hope India full time. So mm-hmm. I left that church. It's a great opportunity, great church, and it really was an was a launching pad for these teams going over. Um, and uh, so that was in 2011. So we're now in 2021, and. Uh, that's 10 years ago, and I've gone 51 times now to India, wow. taking a 1,000 people with me. And so God really gave me the dream of a lifetime mm. to have an international mission like this. That's beautiful. I mean, really beautiful. I was just interviewing someone earlier, um, and we were talking about how in the United States, we really um, don't understand value value right like we don't understand how we can have a house and, a, and you know all, all the things all the things you know all the, the new and greatest products and stuff like that and unless you really have to work and know how how to work and know how someone is suffering mm-hmm. someone else is suffering that you can really appreciate what you have so you not only set the groundwork the foundation for your children to really appreciate everything that they have now, but you've also said that for a a thousand people Mm -hmm. to go over to India to get an opportunity to see that these orphans had nothing but the, like I, like you said, the joy of Christ in their heart. And Mm -hmm. that's what got them through every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're here. They might not get an Apple phone for Christmas and there's no joy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's a complete Mm -hmm. different between, um, someone who has nothing and yet has a God to mm-hmm. someone who has everything and doesn't have God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's really how God used India to change my life because I was a Christian minister of the gospel who had all of these religious practices in my life. Um, but I really had not been pursuing the presence of God as a believer. And mm-hmm. the year before I went to India my journals journals were full of prayers, praying for power and praying for peace in my life. And yet I wasn't pursuing the presence of God. Then I go over to India and that's really where I really, com- God used India to confront me on my need for the presence of God in my own life as a Christian minister of the gospel. And, um, and so it was sobering to say the least because I saw churches, I had been a church planner, um, but in India, I saw churches without bulletins and without budgets, but they had such a passion for the presence of God. And, you know, one of the things I sort of relate it to is we can dial 911 in an in a in a second, but there earlier there was no nine one one. So if you got a fever, you better start praying, or you're going to die. Wow. And so they really pursued the presence of God, and He was it, God was so faithful in meeting their needs and healing the sick, and so many miracles that you could witness there from meal to meal many times. You know, we we think it's going to be a bad month if we don't know exactly where all the money's going to come from next month. Well, what if you don't know where your dinner's going to come from tonight? Right. And you didn't know where it was right. going to come from last night and you didn't know where it was going to come from the night before. And that was just the way you lived your life, wow. praying 
every single meal, every single meal into your life. And God, you didn't die. You, you didn't die mm-hmm. from starvation. God somehow fed you. God, God somehow clothed you. God somehow uh, gave you a night's sleep and you woke up the, the next day. And that had been your life forever, you know, for a, a very long time. That's what you recognized was, was life. And you just learn to appreciate the smallest things that we would take for granted. So it was a great, um, you know, we go on an international mission trip, hoping that we can make a difference in people's lives, but I'm convinced God's strategy for taking us on international mission trips is, is to change us because we're, we need to be changed just as much as the mission field needs to be impacted. Absolutely. And what an amazing country that you um, were called to, right? You were, mm-hmm. that's your purpose is India. It's what over a billion people. Yes. And most of the country I believe is, is not Christians. They're either right. Hindu or Muslims, right? Yes. You got it. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine, um, well, he's a friend of a friend, so I'll call him my friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. He has a ministry that deals with um, just the upper third the northern third of India, which is okay. you, as I'm sure you know, is more mountainous, mm-hmm. and it goes into um, you know very frigid temperatures and things like that. So, where in India are are you called to go? Yeah, so now we have long term vetted partnerships all across north, south, east, west, even into northeast India. There in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, and and up into the Himalayan mountains. Um, but predominantly in mainland India, um, all across north, south, east, west. And have you have you seen Christianity grow in India? Yeah, yeah. You're not going to hear about it in the media or right. statistically from the Indian government. But yes, there is a hunger and thirst for God there. Um, there is a passion for um, a God that will actually speak to you in prayer. We take it for granted. The the whole Christian faith that we've had passed on from generation to generation, there most of the Christians are first and second uh, generation Christians. Um, you know, most of their churches are 100 years or less old. The vast majority of churches in India are like 10 to 15 years old um, or younger. And so historically, the starting of new churches has always been the most effective means of evangelism. And that's what is happening in India, where uh, a believer will come to faith in, in Christ and begin to experience a call to ministry. Obviously, not every believer in India is a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary, but um, the Holy Spirit is really calling forth, answering Jesus's prayer, you know, that pray that. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more laborers into the harvest field. And you see that happening in India. But you also see a respect for gospel workers among all believers. Um, you can be a teacher and a lawyer, Christian, um, business person, but they really understand a purpose that God has given them for the gospel. Yeah, as a teacher, as a lawyer, as a business person, um, where you can find that in the U.S., but it's not as prevalent as it should be at times. So, Yeah, so it sounds like their ministry is literally being that business person, is being that teacher. 
mm-hmm. where ours is the opposite, right? We're the teacher and then maybe we can minister to some one or two people, right? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of in reverse. Yeah, I would say th- their their conviction is gospel first. Mm. They really stand on that verse. What does it profit a person if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And so they really want to be a um, a genuine witness for Christ and a representation of the gospel. And it's not that they're dogmatic and pushing the gospel down people's throats, um, but they just realize um, that that they are all of these careers and vocations for the sake of the gospel. And so it, it's spreading. And, 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 but the, we serve a God that reveals himself in the midst of human need. Christmas was all about that. Easter is all about that. Uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, God has constantly been revealing himself in the midst of human need. And India is one of the neediest countries in the world. It is quickly developing. Everyone now has a cell phone uh, in India, and the development is profound, but there's still human need. Um, one, one just classic example is leprosy. We don't see leprosy in the USA. You're not going to find a leopard colony in the USA, but there's still a thousand in India. And the only reason is just their, um, their, their low standard of, of sanitation Mm. um, and their, their resources to, to maintain proper sanitation, Uh, the lack of water, um, is is an incredible hardship all across India. Um, education is a higher priority today than ever before, um, but you still have the older generations that are severely undereducated and under-resourced. Uh, medical care, um, dental care um, is, is just an incredible need all across India. Um, there is a wealth that is developing in India, just like it's developing in the U.S., but um, there is nothing that's going to replace the generosity of, of Jesus Christ. Um, the Hindu religion is never going to replace the generosity of Christ. Uh, the Muslim will never replace that. We, that's one of the distinctions of, of the Christian faith is just the generosity of God. And so, um, you know, we have that problem even in the U.S. And we are um, a, still uh, considered a Christian nation in comparison to a country like India, um, where the wealth continue to get wealthier and the poor um, are, are still poor. And there's not that equality of wealth um, that the Bible really calls us to. And we see demonstrated in Acts chapter two. Uh, but in India, you really see, see where the wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are staying poor. Um, and so, um, it's really just like you see demonstrated in the Bible. It's those poor that are crying out for salvation. Uh, the wealthy are as well, but but those that are really struggling and hurting um, are are really finding that God is an ever present help in time of need. And even 2020 was an incredible year of pain for India. Mm-hmm. The 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 workers of India working in all the factories. Hundreds of millions of workers in restaurants and factories 
literally fired and unemployed as a result of the pandemic and forced to move out of factory-owned homes, uh, housing, and to had to walk hundreds of thousands uh, of miles back to villages all across India uh, to get back um, collectively um, many, many miles. And uh, just uh, lots of death along the way and uh, lots of human suffering. And mm. so it's in that environment that they really – we come to a place of, quote, the end of ourselves, and we look up and, and begin to realize that there's a God of mercy that has so much to offer to us in our time of need. Wow. And I, you know, I just want to paint a picture for our listeners that, you know, in India, the water supply, I've seen, um, I have friends that go there. So I've seen pictures where, and I haven't been there yet, but that will be on the horizon mm. at some point. Yeah, let's do it. They, there are pictures where there are cows standing in, you know, streams. And then there are people literally within, you know, a few feet drinking that water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you say the poor stay poor, it's, it, it was compared to years ago as a caste society. Yes. Right. So there was only two. There was the poor and there was the rich and that was it. And. It's such an, a beautiful thing to hear you talk about what you're doing and talk about generosity. And so there's, before we go into talking about your, your book, because you touched on generosity, I have to ask, because now I'm like curious, because I know of that dichotomy between the rich and the poor and the caste society in, in India. And being from the Midwest, you know, you walk into any corner, there's a church, a big, beautiful building of a church and stained glass windows and probably some sort of a cross on top and all of that. Even, you know, mosques and things like that are huge and, and bountiful here in the United States. So what does a church look like, a Christian church look like in India? Yeah, um, a very humble gathering, not necessarily identified with walls and facility. There are some beautiful churches in India, but the vast majority are starting in homes. Uh, They're starting small and they're continuing to grow. And eventually they'll get some land and eventually they'll have a facility. And the vast majority, if there are are 10,000 churches in India, there's probably more, but if there's 10,000, 950 of them are concrete building. That is probably 20 by 40. just a, a very um, simple structure um, that that is now their church facility. And so long before the pandemic, when the churches globally shut down and a lot of other things shut down and churches had to figure out how to be present in their community outside of them inviting people to their Sunday services, um, the, the church in India was already what you might describe as the church without walls that was out um, in people's homes praying for them and, and being at the crossroads of life with, with people uh, when, when death occurred and when marriages occurred and uh, graduations occurred and a new car would be bought, they would You know, the pastor would come and pray blessings over that gift uh, from the Lord and uh, different things like that always happening out out in the village. And a lot of pastors wouldn't necessarily get a salary like most of the 
pastors in the U.S. would get from their church. Um, but their family would, you know, they would go and visit a family and take back uh, some bags of greens and maybe a chicken and maybe a dozen eggs and things like that would would be how the, the, the pastors of India would eat uh, week in and week out. And um, and so part of Global Hope India's opportunity has been to come alongside churches like that and to provide doctors and nurses and uh, engineers and teachers and galore from the USA to come into those alongside of those churches and offer like free medical clinics, uh, free dental clinics and um, free volleyball tournaments and different mm-hmm. things to to just provide opportunities for the gospel to go forth. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, these would be into villages that would not allow a church. So, um, you know, unfortunately, there are religions that are pretty uh, hostile to um, to Jesus and, and to the gospel. And there are whole villages in India that would uh, really stone a pastor if he went in and started street preaching like we might used used to have seen in older times. That doesn't happen as much anymore because uh, they've really um, become hostile to to the gospel, we would say. And so um, taking these creative entries, offering them a volleyball clinic, offering them a free medical clinic and things like that, um, they would welcome and we still get to go in with the Christian testimonies. We still get to pass out Bibles. We still get to pray prayers of salvation over them. But it's not as a church building with a steeple coming into that village um, at that moment. Um, and so once God moves and faith begins to grow, um, then eventually land is now acquired and a church will begin to be built. But it really starts long before that which is mm. faith developing in the hearts of people. Mm. So such a beautiful story. My, my thought is, is to address, you know, some of our listeners are former military. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm just picturing them when they had to go and, and was deployed, they were boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so what you're talking about is being Jesus on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're being Jesus. We're the example Right. Or the example to go be Jesus on the ground without being a pastor, without being a minister, without calling it a church. And so what an opportunity for anyone to go anywhere. This is an example for, you know, all of us. It's a perfect example for all of us that we can Mm be boots of Jesus on the ground, you Mm -hmm. know, wherever we are. So thank you for for sharing that. And also you talked about the crossroads. And we're going to kind of wrap this into where your book. So it sounded like you were kind of in a crossroads in your own life. Mm-hmm. You were hungry. Mm-hmm. And then God said to you, feed others and you won't go hungry. Yeah. And that's when this, I'm going to call it big, big audacious generosity mm-hmm. really showed up for you. Yeah. So tell us about that, uh, that, that time in your life. Yeah. So now that I've been um, a person of faith for four decades, I really can identify two halves of my life. The first 20 years, I lived in bondage to the fear of failure. My dad would scream at me as a small child, Kevin, you'll never amount to anything. And so I found myself 30 years old. 
I've been married for 10 years. We had three small children and I'm a church planter building a, uh, a church in, um, in North Carolina. And I was in bondage to the fear of failure. And I was a workaholic for God seeking to prove that I would amount to something and to really do a great thing for God. I thought that that's what he wanted me to do. And then after going to India, I understood that really all of this time, what he really wanted was for me to be in his presence. And he really didn't want my work. He actually wanted to work through me, but there would be a lot of layers of surrender in order for that to happen. And so in my book, I, I really put three steps uh, that seem very simple, um, but yet are very profound into the three sections of my book, setting God free, setting yourself free, setting others free. And just that theme of freedom, of needing to just relinquish control over to God and letting him have his way. And his way is a way of audacious generosity for God so loved that he gave. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for the longest time, I would run in the opposite direction direction of the subject of giving because I thought God wanted from me uh, what I could produce. And I was already a workaholic uh, for, for God. And so it was incredibly intimidating to think of God wanting me to be the giver um, in that. And then I realized that in this second half, um, that what God actually is the giver and that giving depends upon what he puts into our hands. And I saw that in the development of With Love from Jesus Ministries And I saw that in uh, the 10 years with Global Hope India, that this whole time God is the giver and I'm just simply open hands that he has uh, shown me the grace to be uh, just to be uh, an ordinary person holding my hands up. But I've noticed a principle that really um, I think is missing in a lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is this principle of committing in advance to use what he puts in my hands to fulfill the great commission. And so I talk about the prosperity gospel in my book, but I really define that God's more is always more of himself, more of, um, more for, more of himself and more of himself for, for others. And so I I say, if you think God's more is about more cars and bigger houses and everything else, you're going to be frustrated. Um, God's more is always about more of himself, more for himself. And, and, um, but it's what we, it's, it's living intentional uh, of, of what we're going to do with it when God blesses us. Um, and the word literally says you have not because you don't ask God. And when you ask God, you ask him with wrong motives that you may use it on your own pleasures. Well, the opposite of that is very true. Uh, you have because you ask God. And when you ask God, you ask him with pure motives that you may use it for his purposes. And then there's no limit to giving. At that moment, there's no limit to what God can do in us and through us. He owns it all. 
And so that's really the life of audacious generosity, realizing that he's the giver and that giving depends upon what God puts into our hands. And I've seen the power of generosity to fulfill the Great Commission. Hmm. And I've been staring at the need to fulfill the Great Commission for over 20 years. And I'm convinced God's strategy has always been audacious generosity. Hmm. Mm, I love it. Love it. Love it. I just want to say amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes. I, you hit on so many nuggets. And one of the things I just want to say is how, you know, I really truly feel that it starts off with surrendering. Mm-hmm. And you have to surrender control and ask, what is it that you want for me, God? Yeah. Right. And I love how you said that your 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 life here timeline here on earth was broken into two halves. Because I think as a child who grew up in the church, we are taught to pray for others. And that's great. And then there's that moment where it's like, no, God's I feel like God says, no, no, pray for you. Because now I have to work in you so I can work through you. And with your your book title. You know, you talked about God is giving to us. He's giving to us. We have to be able to receive it and be in a place to receive it and then multiply it and give it away. Mm -hmm. And we don't even have to know the how to multiply. God takes care of everything to take care of even to where it goes. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a beautiful story. And I love that you broke it into three parts. Could you tell us those three sections again? Yeah. Setting God free, setting yourself free, and setting others free is really what affords us a life of audacious generosity. And so you mentioned earlier, our family got to a place that we needed food. And God really, as I was in his presence, because I understood that was my purpose for living. And so I was really free, even though it was a scary time. And uh, I could quickly go from a place of fear. I'm sorry, a place of peace in the presence of God to a place of torturous fear in just an instant. And I'd have to go back into his presence to find that peace again. Um, And it really seemed like humanly Earthly, it seemed like an uh, incredible inconsideration of our family for me to deny ourselves uh, and our needs in order to care more about the needs of others. But as I saw it, we only needed food. At least we knew that God is an ever-present help in time of need. At least I could go back into his presence and find the peace that surpasses all human understanding. What about those that don't know that? What about those that never have understood that God is an ever-present help in time of need, and they are hungry and don't know Jesus? They're even worse off than I am. I just needed food. And so um, that verse uh, in Matthew, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. God was just really impressing upon me that from the beginning of time, his agenda is he has been pursuing man to to provide the presence of God into our lives. Uh, It really boils down to his presence and he's pursuing us to offer us his presence. He's not playing hide and seek. He is seeking us. (laughs) There's a big difference there. And, And so just really 
um, whispering his love and my security in Christ that he's got me. Uh, our family will, will eat. And, and I really felt um, even to some degree uh, a promise of the Lord. If, if you will care for the needs of others, your family will, will eat as well. I mean, it literally says, seek first his kingdom. So seek giving others the presence of God and the righteousness of Christ. Well, that would be to be generous, not greedy and just only taking care of myself, but really putting others first. That's the righteousness of Christ. And all these other things will be added as well. So I literally, by the Holy Spirit's power, started praying, Lord, give us food that others might eat. Mm. We needed food. We didn't know where our next meal was going to come from. But Father, give us food that others might eat. And that was 20 years ago. And millions of people, uh, I'm sorry, millions of dollars have been collected and shared with thousands of people over the years. But in that first year, we literally went from a family of six needing food to sharing food with over 500 families a month with the help of 25 volunteer families a year later. We never missed one single meal, not one. Wow. And yet all of those people, yeah, we got to pray with thousands of people over the years um, as as we just shared bags of groceries with them, free with love Mm -hmm. from Jesus. And then it became clothing and household items. And we went from uh, having to turn our minivan back over to the bank to three years later, we had given away 25 cars. Uh, people just giving us their their used cars and we could bless families that needed used cars with it. Um, and there's just no limit, you know, and I was striving to have a car and striving to have a house. And then, you know, and it literally David said in Psalm 23, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you're getting to that place of surrender, you know, Jesus said the son of man has no place to lay his head. That was a life surrendered. That's what it looked like, but it didn't look like a life neglected. That's, that's really one of the the things that, that it was hard for me because as a small child, I had lived neglected and it really influenced my walk with Christ in a negative way. I really fear being neglected. Even today, I can still I can still get tempted to just fear being neglected. But Jesus was never neglected, but he didn't own a home. He didn't have he didn't have a bed and a pillow to put his head on at night. But he always had sleep. And and we can we can begin. There is that that place of dwelling in the presence of God to to the place that I don't have to have the the keys to the house in order to have a house, and I don't have to have the um, the, the title to the car in order to, to have a car. Um, you know, now, now we own two cars and, um, uh, very reliable cars and we, and we own two homes. Uh, we have an investment property and, uh, God's been so faithful and gracious to us. Um, but our purpose is not to get our purpose is uh, to live with audacious generosity for his glory to fulfill the great commission. I love, love, love that. And you gave me goosebumps when you told me how Mm. you fed 500 people. Wow, Mm. that's beautiful. And so I'm just thinking about, um, you know, as a as your success today as a a head of a nonprofit and you started, you know, started nonprofit back um, with love from Jesus Ministries. Right. Mm -hmm. So what and and I have a lot of nonprofit nonprofit. people who are listening and small business owners who are listening, was there a defining moment that you said, you know, 
I really feel like I can be more generous and write a book. I really feel like there's something here that needs to be shared. Well, um, this time last year, well, uh, I need to, we'll edit that because it'll be 2021 already. Um, That's okay. (laughs) Sorry. And in 2019, at the end of the year, I started feeling God impress upon me to go into 2020 uh, with an assignment to write, to f- spend the first quarter really uh, writing. And I, th- I thought it was, I agreed to write. And then it really became a worship um, place of surrender to write my story. I could tell your story. I could tell everybody else's story. I find value in all of these stories. I just didn't really think much um, about my own story and people's interest in that. And so I'm um, blown away by, by your kindness. Um, and, and so it was in that, that I really saw my convictions just increase that God was really giving me a great word that would be a blessing for the nations, but to the nations. And, um, and, and so I, I'm really grateful for this gift of this book, Audacious Generosity. And I know that, uh, it will um, bring courage and freedom into the lives of millions of people around the world and um, and will be used of God to as a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. So I'm, I'm just grateful for, for that opportunity. Um, so when I'm going to just answer your question this way, and, and, and that is, this morning, I was even thinking about coaching because I say in the book that the Holy Spirit is a helper. And one of the m- most modern day analogies of a helper is a coach. Mm. And I think so often we, we, we understand the need for a coach. So we go out and hire it instead of getting on our face and welcoming the coach into our life. And we can never h- hire someone to replace the Holy Spirit. And yet until we've really um, really uh, taken, uh, put out the welcome mat for the Holy Spirit in our life and really postured ourselves to, to value the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're, we're really just going to, to chase rabbits as far as um, an, uh, a human and earthly coach. Once we, once we realize that the Holy Spirit is the coach, then absolutely the coaches of uh, like yourself and others are going to be an incredible gift of God into our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we could end up um, really getting frustrated with, with a lot of human coaching and uh, wasting budget and wasting time. If we're not realizing that the Holy spirit is the ultimate coach mm-hmm. in all of our lives. And so, um, you know, what I just witnessed to was that, that guidance of the Holy Spirit to write. And it became this incredible gift. Um, And the same could be said of starting Global Hope India and starting with Love from Jesus Ministries. I didn't really ever write a business plan. It just developed. Even now, I tell people, don't go and try to incorporate a 5013C. So many people have wanted to get my, my two cents on that. And I would say, get active. Make sure that you have to have a 5013C um, uh, before 
before you go and do that, because I've seen so many people focus on the 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 incorporation part of it, and they they don't really ever get into the activity of it. And I would say, get messy, go go force that you you have. We have to have a five hundred one three C because of what God's doing here. Instead of getting everything you know polished and in in a robe, the best website, all of the trademarks and everything else, and then it closes because statistically the odds are stacked against every nonprofit and every small business. Seven out of 10 go out of business. Seven out of 10 quote fail. Um, There's no failure in God's economy, fortunately. Um, But um, you know, just really understand the, the gift of God through the guidance of the Holy spirit. Mm. Wow. So many, so much wisdom in there. And you're so spot on. I mean, for me, being a coach, it, it is, you know, Jesus says, God is my my direct coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally pray for every call, every interview um, that God speak through me. And I want our listeners to hear what he said. He had a calling to write a book and took action. And I have to say congratulations to you because many people talk about writing a book, but they don't go forward and take that action. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said that because for me, when I wrote my book, it was literally God said writing today and I went and wrote it and it out it flowed in one sitting. Mm. Not everyone's like that. Mm -hmm. And so I, it is definitely you're here for that, for that purpose. Like God designed you for writing this book. Mm-hmm. So very, so congratulations. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, I might write a book, it's take it, take action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if he's calling you, it's, if you're getting nudged, if people are saying, hey, you could write a book, your story's so great, it could be a book. That's your, that's your nudge. Mm-hmm. That's your calling. So yes. take, it's time to take action. Mm-hmm. Wholeheartedly agree. Wow. You have really just gave our listeners an amazing, amazing story and amazing inspiration. So thank you for that. And, you know, again, congratulations on your book Mm -hmm. and all of your success that you've done and helping India as well as helping people here in the United States. Mm. Thank you, Shay. You too. Oh, thank you. You're a world changer. (laughs) Thank you. you. Thank you. So where can people buy your book? Where, how can they connect with you? Maybe they want to send you an email and see how they can get involved. What, mm-hmm. How do they connect with you? Yeah, uh, the book is available anywhere books are sold. Um, by the grace of God, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, every, everywhere online. It's available in paperback, hardback, ebook. Uh, so Kindle and all the um, ebook readers around the world, as well as audiobook. Um, it's not been yet approved on Audible, but many other carriers are already there. But it will be on Audible probably in the next two weeks. Well, um, by the time this is aired, it probably will be on Audible. So just edit that out. So it's on Audible and uh, everywhere uh, audiobooks can be found internationally. So that's what really excites me uh, about that. My website, which you gave out in the very beginning, kevinwhite.us, is a great place to connect. Um, my email is kevin at kevinwhite.us. I would love to uh, hear and help anyone that would uh, reach out. 
Mm, thank you. So kevinwhite.us. So I always, it's just been an honor and a pleasure to have you here. And um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. And I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Oh, what phrase? Okay. Um, I would say uh, Matthew seven eleven would be a passage that has really been on my mind a lot in the last couple of months. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father uh, love to give good gifts to those who ask Him? Mm-hmm. And and I I really am seeking to live as, as you read the book and you see more of the um, details of my two halves. Um, I really um, spent a lot of time struggling with um, the fear of reprimand. And it's only been in writing this book that it really came to a head. And I began to see how God's heart has always been to reward. And yet I was so fearful of reprimand. It affected my worship. It affected my prayers uh, in ways subconsciously I didn't even know. And so I'm really trying to live life expecting to be rewarded by God. Mm, Beautiful. Well, thank you again for being here today. Thank you, Shay. God bless you. Don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.